Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 27 together. The title of this episode is Jesus Takes Us Where the Law Cannot. Back in our podcast of Numbers 26, we discussed the census was taken for a new generation. See, the times were changing. And today we're going to look at the massive shift that happens in Numbers 27. So we're going to jump straight in. Let's start with the very first verse. Here's what it says. Then the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hagla, and Milcah, and Terzah. They stood before Moses and the leaders of all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. Yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. So five daughters approached Moses, Eleazar, and the leaders in front of the tent of meeting with a problem. Their father had died in the desert because of Korah's rebellion, but their father wasn't one of the people who took part in the actual rebellion. But he still died. And according to the Torah, who received the inheritance when the father died? What does the Torah say? Well, the inheritance goes to the sons. See, this is a patriarchal society. So if a father has five daughters, like in this case, but he had no sons, what would happen to those daughters? They would be passed over. This was a big, big deal because the family name disappears. And when the family name does not get passed down, the ancient culture believed that that was God's judgment. Something happened in that family that God was judging them for. That's what the, the belief was. So these daughters were in serious trouble. They have no inheritance. They have no family line to pass down. They have no hope. And these five women simply asked Moses, Eleazar, and the leaders for an inheritance among their father's relatives. You know, I love how Moses is so consistent when he encounters a problem. What does he do? Well, he doesn't respond immediately in this case. Instead, he seeks the Lord and he lets God decide the matter. I don't know what problems that you are dealing with right now, but is your first thought to seek the Lord's guidance? So often, we run to other people to help with issues. Well, Moses knows that God is the one with all the answers. 
do you run to the Lord no matter the situation? Let's look at verse, starting in verse six. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of uh, Zelophehad had, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in his own family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So God sided with the women in this case. They would receive an inheritance. The Hebrew word is a nahala. And God goes on to clarify the process of passing down this nahala, this inheritance. It was to become, he says, a statutory ordinance from this moment on. So another translation calls it a legal precedent. And that's an accurate translation. So future generations of women would be able to receive inheritance based on God's ruling in this case. But you know what? This also created a problem that God would have to address later. What happens if a woman that has received her family's inheritance gets married? Well, the land would be taken to the husband's family. That, that doesn't seem fair. So God looks at how to address this, and we will discuss when we get to Numbers chapter 36. Before we move on to the next part of the chapter, I want you to think about something for a moment. Obviously, this inheritance was important to these women, right? It was so important that they took this issue up with the leadership of Israel. I want you to put yourself in their story. What was the inheritance that they were wanting? Well, a Nahala is a piece of land. Where are they in this story? They're in modern-day Jordan. They still have not entered into the promised land. They don't own any land in Jordan. Do you realize the fate of these women? They absolutely knew that God would be faithful to bring them into the land that he had promised them. And they were so confident that that land would be given to the families that they acted based on this faith. They presented the issue before the leadership, before God brought them into Canaan. Because it was, it was a foregone conclusion in their mind that God would be true to his word. Let me ask you, do you act on that same type of faith? Do we live our lives in such a way that we know that God is going to come through when he calls us to do something? Years ago, 
I was invited to go on a mission trip. It was a teaching trip to pastors in Vietnam. And I was told before I went that it would be really hot. So I needed to get uh, a shirt or two that would be lightweight, that I could teach in, that it would be okay if I sweated in. And, And so my wife and I, one Saturday morning, woke up and we went to, to shop and try to find a couple shirts that would be useful in that way. And we found a few shirts, but they were very expensive. So we decided not to buy them. And we came back to our home. Um, the next morning, I woke up and I went to church, taught Sunday school, and we, we get to just before the church service and uh, we're practicing in choir. One of the choir members looks around and he looks at me and he says, Mark, what size shirt do you wear? And I told him, and I was like, why do you ask? He said, well, my wife bought me two shirts that don't really fit right. And I was wondering if maybe you would want them or if you would wear them. And he brought the shirts the next Sunday morning and they were exactly what I was looking for. They were the fishing style shirts that are short sleeve that that would dry out quickly. And I wore them when I went to Vietnam to teach. But it was a reminder. Yeah, that may not be a big thing. But my friend in the choir had no idea that I was looking for that. But God showed me, Mark, when I call you to go somewhere, I'll take care of what you need. He says the same thing to you today. I don't know what he's calling you to do. I don't know what you've heard his voice lately tell tell you to do. But I do know that he's faithful and that whatever he calls you to do, trust him in that. He'll take care of whatever needs you may have because of that calling. Let's keep looking at Numbers 27 together. Picking up in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain of Abiram and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother was. For in this wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So Moses travels about 10 miles to the mountain range of Abiram. On this mountain range is Mount Nebo. And this is the place that Moses could see the promised land. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 49. I had the privilege of going to Mount Nebo just several months ago. And it is an incredible sight. And I could just imagine Moses up from that same spot overlooking into the promised land and how grieved he must have felt that he would not be the one leading Israel into the promised land because of his sin. See, after he saw the promised land, God told him, you're going to die just like your brother Aaron. And what does it mean when God told him that he would be gathered to his people? Well, the Bible says that to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Aaron and to Joshua, all these people were gathered to their people when they passed away. So many scholars believe it was a way to say that person would find rest 
and peace eternally, just like their faithful forefathers. I think that's true. See, we, we certainly know it's not an expression to say that they were buried with their ancestors. Moses is on a mountain range far from his ancestors. Aaron has already passed away at Mount Hor. So that's where we are. Moses not allowed to enter the promised land. Why? Why did Moses have to stay outside the promised land? You remember our podcast in Numbers chapter 20? We discussed Meribah. Moses' sister Miriam had just died, and, and there's nothing in the text about anyone mourning for her death, if you recall. And the people begin to complain that they wanted water. And God instructs Moses to take the rod and speak to the rock. Instead, Moses called the people rebels and struck the rock twice. So God told Moses that he would not be the one to lead the people into the promised land. That's Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Look with me, starting in verse 15. What happens next? Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So in this text, we see the true character of Moses on full display. See, if it were me, I would have tried to talk God into allowing me to lead the people into the promised land. Is that what Moses did? No. He immediately submitted to the will of God. His mind immediately went on the people that God had called him to lead. And he prayed for God to appoint his man over the people that he loved so dearly. Think with me way back into Exodus chapter three. Do you remember the call of Moses? Do you remember that day at Mount Sinai when Moses saw the burning bush and heard God's voice? How many times do you think Moses thought about that day? How many times would God's words from that day race through through Moses' mind in the future. Moses knew God had called him to lead his people. He knew that God would use him to bring the people out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. Because that's what he says in Exodus 3, verses 8 and 9. Would it always be easy? No. But Moses even came up with excuse after excuse of why God should not call him to lead Israel. When times were tough for Moses, he needed to know the calling God had given him. And he never doubted that calling because he experienced God's invitation that day at the burning bush. 
God personally came down to invite Moses into his story. Moses asked God to appoint a man over the congregation. We see that in verse 16. The Hebrew word for appoint in this text means to make a personal visit and to issue a tailor-made order. Just like Moses, he had a personal visit from God and God issued a tailor-made order for Moses. And Moses is asking for the very same thing for his successor. Why? Well, I think Moses knew that his successor needed a moment he could always look back on when times were tough so that he would not doubt his calling in those moments. What is the calling that God has given you? 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul tells Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And God gave Moses a specific ministry and he expected him to fulfill it. And I believe God has given a specific ministry to every believer. God does not just give a ministry to full-time employees like pastors and music ministers. God gave spiritual gifts to every believer. And he invites each of us to join him in ministry. That will look very different for each of us. But are you willing to fulfill your ministry? You know, at the very end of Colossians, Paul makes a statement that has made such an impact on my life. I still remember God taking me to this specific verse at a time I needed it the most. Satan was doing his best to cast doubts on a ministry that I knew God had called me to do. And at the end of the day, I had essentially thrown in the towel on this ministry. It was a day on a Sunday in May, and I went home, and mentally I was done. I had already told God in my mind, I am, I'm, I'm not going to lead this ministry. And that evening, God opened up my Bible. And I don't even remember exactly why I went to Colossians 4. It was not something that was designed. But a verse jumped off the page. Colossians 4, 17. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Do you know what ministry God has given you? I have no doubt in my mind that God has appointed a ministry for you. He has personally equipped you with the tools and spiritual gifts necessary to complete the ministry that he has set aside for you. Just like Moses, you have to be confident in your calling because we have an enemy that does his very best to convince us that we're not the right person for the job. 
Satan will attempt to cast doubts in our minds. That's how he works. Do you remember Genesis 3? What was Satan's first strategy as he tempted Eve in the garden? Did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Is you sure that's what he said? That's Genesis 3.1. See, Satan wanted to cast doubts on what Eve knew to be true. That's how he works. We must know our ministry. We must know what God has called us to be about. And we must know that it truly was God who called us to that ministry. Because Satan's going to ask, did God really say for you to do that ministry? Are you sure? Are you really the right person for that job? And when he asked these questions, we must know that we have been appointed for that ministry. Yes, God has really given us a role in his story. And that is incredible, guys. Why? Well, it's because he wants to partner with us. And when Satan causes you to doubt the ministry God has given you, remind yourself of this fact. Now, why is it so important for us to fulfill our ministry? Look back with me in Numbers 27. What did Moses say would happen if his successor did not understand his calling in verse 17. Here's what it says. He, he's asking for God to appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. The obedience of Moses' successor was important for the sake of others. See, if this man that took over the leadership after Moses did not do his job, God's people would be like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what a sheep without a shepherd is? That's a meal. See, sheep only have one defense mechanism. They must know their shepherd and follow him. That's it. The shepherd is the one that leads the sheep to food. The shepherd is the one that leads the sheep to water. The shepherd is the one that protects the sheep from danger. Without a shepherd, sheep die. See, your ministry that God has appointed for you is important for the sake of others. That time when Satan was on me to give up a ministry that God had called me to, that ministry became incredibly, incredibly fruitful. So many came to the Lord through that ministry. So many renewed their commitment to the Lord through that ministry. But what would have happened if I listened to Satan? Today, the lives of many would be affected. See, your ministry is not really about you. God wants to use you. Are you allowing him 
to use you for the ministry that he wants you to fulfill. In Matthew 9, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages in Galilee, and he was teaching and preaching and healing. Then we get to Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. I want us to look at that text together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. Here's what it says. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus specifically calls the people a sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9. It is a direct reference to Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. Do you know what he instructs his disciples to do just a few verses later in Matthew 10, 6. He told his disciples to go after the lost sheep of Israel. That was their mission. Why? Well, when sheep are lost, they do not come back on their own. They will die unless the shepherd looks for them. And Jesus gave the disciples the mission to go after those that were lost sheep. If you are a follower of Jesus, know that you have this job description also. The Lord loves his sheep. And we are to be part of the solution to finding and restoring the lost sheep. So Moses needs a successor to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Who's it going to be? Who will God appoint to lead the people? Start back in verse 18 again. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, they shall go out. At his command, they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and he set him before Eleazar, the priest, and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. God chose Joshua to replace Moses and to lead his people into the promised land. Why did God choose Joshua? Well, Joshua was a man that had the qualities needed to lead the people in the promised land. Moses was a spiritual leader, but he really wasn't a military leader. Do you think the people would need a military leader as they entered the promised land? Absolutely. 
they would have many wars to fight to claim the land that God was giving them. Well, how did God know that Joshua would be a good choice as a military leader? Exodus 17. This is where we meet Joshua for the very first time. The Israelites had just crossed the Red Sea and they're attacked by the Amalekites. Joshua is the one that led the charge to defeat the Amalekites. As we continue to see the story of Joshua unfold, later Joshua is one of those 12 spies that went into the promised land. And when 10 of them came back and said, you know what? We have no hope of taking that land. Joshua was one that trusted the Lord. So our text says that Joshua was a man in whom is the spirit. The NIV says he was a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. God set Joshua aside for the task that he was, was about to receive in Numbers chapter 27. When God looked at Joshua, he saw a man with the characteristics he was looking for to lead his people. He was a man with a deep trust in God. He was the real deal. What does God see when he looks at you? So how did Moses transfer that leadership to Joshua? The text says he placed his hand upon him. Verse 18, the laying on of hands was this symbol of power and authority. And he did it publicly. Everyone could see this. But there's something interesting. Because as he did, as he, as he laid on his hands, it says in the text that he transferred some of his authority. That's verse 20. See, a change happens from this moment in history on. Moses had face-to-face -face contact with God. We see that in Numbers 12 and in Deuteronomy 34. Joshua would have to consult Eleazar, the high priest, on spiritual matters. And I think there's even more to it about why God chose Joshua. I think it's more than just the qualities that he had. The name Joshua means the Lord is salvation. This is where it gets interesting. You see, if you take Joshua's Hebrew name, Yahashua, and translate it into English, you get Joshua. And much like we shorten names in, in English, my brother's name is Matthew. I've never called him that once in my life. I, I call him Matt. In the very same way, Hebrews would often shorten names. Do you know how they would shorten Yeshua? They would shorten it to Yeshua. We see Joshua's name written as Yeshua in Nehemiah 8, 17. When you take this Hebrew name and translate it into Greek and into English, you get the name Jesus. Do you understand what happened in Numbers 27? Moses, a man synonymous with the law, was only allowed to see the promised land. See, the law 
was never meant to get us into heaven. It was Joshua, a man whose name points us to Jesus, that actually took God's people into the promised land. Obeying rules was never meant to be the method of salvation for God's people. It was no accident that Moses was left outside the promised land and that Joshua entered into the promised land. The only salvation is found in Jesus. As we finish this episode, you may be trying to obey all the rules, To you, Christianity may be very legalistic. What to do, what not to do, what to stay away from, a list of do's and don'ts. See, Jesus came. He came to perfectly fulfill the law. If you try to make it to heaven simply by obeying the law, you will be like Moses. You will be left looking into the promised land, but never entering. It takes trusting the one that brings us into the promised land for us to get there. Have you accepted Jesus? Not accepted a bunch of laws, not accepted uh, rules of Christianity. Have you accepted the person of Jesus Christ? That's the question. Because it's then and only then that we truly have an eternity to look forward to with him. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. As always, I invite you to go to the website for more information, rbellministries.com. I invite you to reach out to me. I love to hear the stories of how these podcasts are impacting people. Find me on Twitter at rbellministries or through my email, rbellministries at gmail.com. Love to interact with you in that way. Take care. I look forward to our next time together.